Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Gil Martin, very happy to be with you here as we talk Islanders hockey during this difficult time. Hope everybody is well and uh, that you're keeping the social distancing up. And uh, hopefully we will all get through this together in just a relatively short amount of time. Lots to talk about on the hockey front as we discuss all things Islanders. Don't forget, uh, if you want to watch some Islanders hockey, uh, MSG Plus each night, 7 o'clock, has uh, games, that uh, old classic games to watch, and um, a wild game with a, a Ray Ferraro hat trick from, I believe it's 1990. Uh, is today's feature, so that should be uh, an interesting one, 7 o'clock, MSG+, and uh, that'll at least whet your appetite for uh, some Islanders hockey, and you know, it's interesting to watch these older games, and now, you know, 1990 is hard to believe, but 30 years ago, and just the different style of hockey, the way the game was played, and the way the teams, you know, play defense differently and and just the way the game looked. Uh, always interesting to go back and look at those games. So please feel free to check that out and uh, stay connected to the Islanders uh, and their past in that way. We're going to talk about uh, a controversial ranking in The Athletic uh, a little bit later on in the show. Plus, we'll continue our look at some of the greatest moments in Islanders franchise history, two specific draft picks that really changed the course of the history of this franchise, and uh, also, of course, this date in Islanders history, a thrilling overtime playoff battle against the rival Rangers. So lots to talk about. Feel free, you know, we have three more days coming up of the greatest moments in Islanders history, feel free to email us. Let us know what you want to include. Yesterday, uh, if you missed it, we talked about the incredible 1975 playoff run that put the Islanders on the map. We'll have the two draft picks we're going to talk about today. That gives us three more, and if there's one that you would like us to discuss, the email address, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. You could also contact the show and follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Isles. 
And you could follow me, Gil Martin, at Ice Wars, N-Y-R-V-S-N-Y-I, and we'll give you the latest Islanders news and notes and uh, just get you to stay in touch with the show. So uh, let's take a look at this story in The Athletic. And, you know, obviously all the uh, sports media, sports websites, radio stations, all, all of the above, they're all looking for topics to talk about and, and write about. And so over at The Athletic, they had a so-called non-biased, unbiased observer rank the uniforms of all 31 NHL teams. And believe it or not, the Islanders, of all places, were ranked 26th in the league in this story by The Athletic. Uh, Talks about, do you remember our discussion about complementary colors, blue and orange, of the two of the NHL's two teams that continue to drape themselves in blorange, this is the worst. They should be made to explain how this happened. That is the entire comment. They rank the Islanders 26th. The only teams ranked behind the Islanders are the Golden Knights at 27, the Wild at 28, the St. Louis Blues at 29, the Washington Capitals at 30, and the Anaheim Ducks at 31. Among the teams that somehow are ahead of the Islanders, uh, the Edmonton Oilers are ahead of the Islanders, Uh, the Colorado Avalanche somehow are ahead of the Islanders, and no offense to the Avs, but, you know, can't put those uniforms up. and rank them ahead of the Islanders. So, you know, the, the, I I guess, you know, the thing is, first of all, the way the Islanders got these uniforms, um, blue and orange were the official colors of Nassau County. Uh, and so it made sense for the team to adopt those colors when hockey came to Nassau County. That really was very logical. Um, But you have to consider that, yes, there have been a few tweaks here and there, but the overall design of the Islanders' uniforms are classic, and they have been more or less consistent since 1972, since the uh, team came into the league. They represent the county. They represent uh, a classic look now, And look, blue and orange, New York sports fans certainly are familiar with that color combination, whether you're talking about the Knicks or the Mets or the Islanders, uh, you know, it's a very classic color combination. And I guess the, the writer of this piece, you know, certainly, uh, didn't particularly like that color combination, but certain teams like the Florida Panthers, uh, are ranked well ahead of the Islanders. The Ottawa Senators are ranked well ahead of the Islanders. Um, I have a lot of other complaints about, you know, the, the this list. I mean, San Jose Sharks, which are considered one of the better uh, of the 
recent wave of expansion teams, when I say recent, you're going to the 90s and forward, they're ranked 13th. The Rangers, if you were wondering, were ranked 10th. But overall, to put the Islanders, a team with such a tradition and with such classic uniforms that low, 26th out of 31 teams, really doesn't do justice to uh, the Islanders' jerseys. And look, I I am not a fan of the Islanders' third jerseys, or most of them over the years, but uh, to me, the Islanders' classic jerseys got to be a lot higher than 26th. Got to be, at the very least, in the middle of the pack, Uh, and maybe even, you know, closer to the 10th overall But, uh, hey, feel free, drop us a comment, and, uh, you know, let us know what you think. But uh, The Athletic, uh, Ed Malone, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, was the author of this article, came out yesterday, and uh, really disrespecting the Islanders' uniforms. All right, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcatcher of choice. And a review, it does help other Islander fans find the podcast. Or, in the alternative, tell your friends and family and fellow Islander fans about us. Always great to grow the Locked On Islanders family, and we do greatly appreciate that. Uh, This date in Islanders history, we're all in playoff mode right now when we go back to it. And let's go back to... April 28th, 1979, the site is the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, Game 2 of the series between the Islanders and the New York Rangers, NHL semi-final series, and, uh, you know, this was an epic series between two great hockey teams, Sellout crowd of 14,995 on hand at the Coliseum. Billy Smith, the goalie for the Islanders. John Davidson in net for the New York Rangers. And the Rangers had stunned the Islanders in game one, four to one. So this became almost a must-win situation for the Islanders who had the best record in the National Hockey League in 1979. Only one goal in a very physical first period, uh, and that one was scored by the Rangers' Walt Kachuk, his fourth from Mike McEwen and Pat Hickey at 3:12. and suddenly, after 20 minutes, it was one to nothing in favor of the road team, the Rangers, Islanders, on their heels, Jerry Hart and Ron Duguay each getting roughing penalties at 6.13. Billy Smith also goes off at that point for high sticking. And Mario Marwa of the Rangers got a double roughing minor. So no fights, but some rough stuff. You then had Don Murdoch of the Rangers and Dennis Potvin of the Islanders going off for high sticking, uh, matching high sticking minors at 9.10. Jerry Hart and Pat Hickey each getting two minutes uh, holding for Hart, high sticking for Hickey at 11 minutes. You had a lot of physical play out there. 
in the first period as these two teams battled for the upper hand. Islanders do tie the game in the second period. Wayne Merrick, who always seemed to step up his play in the postseason, he got his second of the playoffs from Bob Bourne and Stefan Pearson just a minute 37 seconds into that second stanza. But the Islanders got into some penalty trouble with Billy Harris off for holding at 646. Dave Lewis called for elbowing at 720. And so the Islanders were down two men and Bobby Sheehan of the Rangers takes advantage. Sheehan, his third of the playoffs from Carol Vadney at 832. And after 40 minutes, the Rangers held a two to one edge over the Islanders. And again, we're in must win territory for the Islanders. Couldn't afford to go back to Madison Square Garden for games three and four, down two to nothing in this series. So we enter the third period. Amazing. So many penalties in the first two periods of this game, none in the third period. Islanders managed to tie it five minutes, 13 seconds into the third period. Bob Lorimer, his first from Nystrom and Merrick at 513. And suddenly we have a 2-2 two to two game. Then the Islanders take the lead. Bob Nystrom, his first of the playoffs from Merrick and Tonelli at 9.35. And it is 3-2 Islanders. Looks like the Islanders are going to clinch this one. Uh, half a period left to go. But the Rangers manage to tie it late with 4 minutes, 12 seconds left in regulation time. Their captain, uh, excuse me, their former captain, Phil Esposito, his fifth from Don Maloney and Dave Maloney at 15.48, and the game is all even at three apiece. We head to overtime. Who else gets the game-winning goal? The Ranger killer himself, Dennis Potvan, his fourth of the playoffs at 8.02 of overtime, the lone assist goes to Mike Kaziki in this game. Islanders in overtime win it 4-3 to and manage to tie this series at 1-1. to Shots on goal in this game all even at 37 apiece. Both John Davidson and Billy Smith playing very good hockey. Wayne Merrick, the big offensive force for the Islanders with a goal and two assists. Bobby Nystrom with a goal and one assist was the only other Islander with multiple points in this game. Dave Lewis, Bob Lorimer, and Wayne Merrick were leading the Islanders with plus two ratings, and as far as shots on goal, out of the 37 shots the Islanders registered, seven of them, including, as I mentioned, the game-winning goal taken by Dennis Potvan. Behind that, you had Kaziki, Bob Bourne, and Clark Gillies, each with four shots on goal. Islanders end up tying the series at one game apiece as it headed back to Madison Square Garden for game three. And the Islanders, who again had the best record in the league in 1978-79, uh, got back on track with this important victory at 
the Colosseum. That's on this date in Islanders history, April 28th, 1979. All right, so let's talk about uh, this, this, some of the greatest moments in Islanders history. I am going to talk today about two draft picks that really, truly made a huge difference uh, for the New York Islanders. The first one, comes in 1973, and the Islanders, as you know, in their first season in the NHL, set a record for futility. Out of 78 games they played, they won exactly 12 games. That gave the Islanders the first pick in the 1973 NHL entry draft. But, While everybody knew who the number one prospect in that draft was, and that was Dennis Potvin, the Islanders were not guaranteed that Potvin would play for them because of a thing called the WHA, the rival league that, uh, you know, Potvin could have signed with. And a lot of big name hockey players like Gordie Howe, Jerry Cheevers and Bobby Hull, all Hall of Famers, had signed with the WHA. And all of a sudden, Bill Torrey, the Islanders' great Hall of Fame general manager, knew that he may not be able to sign Potvan even if he drafted him. So what did the Islanders do? First of all, late in their first season, the Islanders acquired Dennis's brother, his older brother, Jean Potvin, in a trade with the Philadelphia Flyers. Smart move. First of all, Jean Potvin was a useful hockey player for the Islanders, mostly played defense, was able to move up and play forward at times, but having his brother there had to be a little bit enticing to Dennis Potvin, who obviously, you know, was aware of the fact that moving from Canada to New York was a big adjustment. Having his brother there was certainly helpful. Uh, A number of WHA teams did contact Dennis Potvin and tried to entice him to sign. He, according to Potvin's autobiography, which was co-written by the great Stan Fischler, the Maven, three WHA teams, the New York Raiders, Chicago Cougars, and Ottawa Nationals, all made offers, but Dennis Potvin wanted to hear from the NHL first. I know uh, from interviewing Rangers general manager Emil Francis uh, for my book Ice Wars that the Rangers made offers to the Islanders for that pick to try to get Dennis Potvin, but the most enticing and persistent offers had to come from Sam Pollock, the shrewd and talented Hall of Fame general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. And he offered at least, to my knowledge, four quality NHL players to Tory in order to try to get the Islanders to trade away that first overall pick. And look, that worked for the Canadiens. They got Guy Lafleur from the then Oakland Seals uh, in that kind of a trade where they would send some veterans and, and help the expansion team, but uh, get that, you know, special player. 
who could make a difference like Guy Lafleur did for the Canadiens. So Bill Torrey basically said, no, not going to take any offers for this pick. I am going to do it. Tory's quote, we went once around the block and Sam was working on me pretty good. He had several possibilities and I considered them all, but I was convinced that we had to build the team around Dennis and that is what they did. Dennis Potvin joined the Islanders for their second season, as did Al Arbor and Dennis Potvin did become the centerpiece that the Islanders built their dynasty teams around. He ended up being the captain of the Islanders' four Stanley Cup winning teams, became the first defenseman in NHL history to get 1,000 points in a season, won all, you know, four Stanley Cups with the Islanders, topped 30 goals in 1975-76, Finished his career with 1,052 points in 1,060 games. Added 164 points in 185 playoff games. And to this day, has what is arguably the most single and unique uh, honor from opposing fans. Because here we are, uh, 32 years after his retirement, and fans at Madison Square Garden are still doing the Pot Van You Know What chant, which is just, you know, no matter how you look at it, a unique honor for an opposing player who really was a thorn in the side of the Rangers for years and years and years. So adding Dennis Pot Van, uh, no coincidence that the Islanders improved significantly after that. And you know, had one, uh, made the playoffs in his second year, reached the, uh, and won their first Stanley Cup in his sixth. So Dennis Potvan, the biggest building block that got the Islanders from expansion mediocrity to a dynasty. The second draft pick that we'll talk about briefly is in 2009. Again, the Islanders had that first overall pick in the draft. There were three players who were up for consideration. There was Matt Duchesne, there was John Tavares, and there was defenseman Victor Hedman. The Islanders with the first pick decided to take John Tavares, and that also ended up paying off. Not to the extent that obviously the Potvan situation did. But if you look back at the New York Islanders and the amount of hope that John Tavares gave and the impact that he had on the team after they had languished pretty much for a decade, uh, almost a decade, really, in mediocrity and trying to overcome the mess that Mike Milbury left this team in. John Tavares gave them immediate hope. 24 goals in his rookie season, including a goal in his very first game. By his third season, he had reached 30 goals. And the Islanders reached the playoffs in his fourth season and 
that was the first time they had reached the playoffs in almost a decade. What John Tavares did was transform the culture of the team. It didn't happen right away. Neither did the Dennis Potvan situation, although Potvan, because of Bill Torrey's excellence, had much more talent around him quicker than Tavares did. But for the first time in a long time, the Islanders had a bona fide superstar. They reached the playoffs for the first time since 2007, and even that 2007 run was sort of just the only time in eight or nine years that the team made the postseason. And Tavares became immediately the face of the Islanders franchise, the player they were going to build around. And when you look back at what playing with John Tavares did for guys like Matt Molson, P.A. Parenteau, uh, Kyle Oposo, he helped those players put up more significant numbers than they otherwise would have. And again, got the Islanders that magical moment, their first playoff series win in 2016. That was the Islanders' first playoff win since 1993. So you're talking about 23 years in between series win. That was a serious, serious step up for the Islanders, and it wouldn't have happened without John Tavares. Now, yes, Tavares left the team under less than ideal circumstances, but his contribution for nine seasons to the Islanders is very difficult to overlook. All right, that wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a national look at the world of hockey. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe and... We'll see you tomorrow with more Locked On Islanders. I'm your host, Gil Martin. Have a great night, and let's go Islanders.